Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. Now, when Yarrow led this program off with her beautiful singing, she talked about, we won't be silent anymore. And the major way, and I know Reverend Barber talks about this all of the time, the way we bring about change is having the courage to talk about reality that you may not see on a TV and you surely will not hear discussed in the United States Congress. So when we talk about a moral economy, we start off in this country recognizing that we are the wealthiest country in the history of the world. There is no excuse for 40 million Americans living in poverty. No excuse for 30 million Americans having no health insurance and many more who are underinsured and can't afford to go to a doctor. No excuse for hundreds of thousands of bright young people unable to go to college because their families lack the necessary income. No excuse for turning our backs on God's earth and allowing climate change to devastate this planet. On all of those issues, on all of those issues, the truth is, despite what you may see in the media where they're telling us we're a divided nation, we're a divided nation on major issues after major issues in terms of justice, economic justice, raising the minimum wage to a living wage. In my view, 15 bucks an hour. Not giving tax breaks to billionaires, but in fact asking them to start paying their fair share of taxes. This is not just something that we believe in. This is what the overwhelming majority of the American people believe. So a moral economy is one that says in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, all of our people should be able to live with dignity and security. And that's what this struggle is all about. Dignity and security. Um, I want to quote a little text um, because morality can be, for some people, it's kind of nebulous out there. But but we as a country and people of faith have some some documents that guide the framing of morality. Um, and as Senator Sanders and I were talking in the back. It's amazing when you hear people talk about what he just said and they call that radical somehow or 
or, 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 or left. I hate that left-right stuff. I, I think he's got a left hand and a right hand. I've got a left hand and a right hand. Who told you you were on the left and the people doing wrong were on the right? I mean, who, who came up with this language that actually limits us, you know? So, let me quote a text. The first duty, taking care of the widows, the orphans, and the unfortunate, is the first duty of a civilized and a Christian nation. You know where that comes from? Not the Bible. That's Article 11 of the North Carolina Constitution Whoa. that was written in 1868 when white and black people after slavery got together, poor whites and poor blacks took over the politics of the state and said, how do we write a document that says we no longer will stand for slavery? and injustice. And they put that in the Constitution. And so every politician in this state swears to uphold that. Let me, let me see if I can quote another text. Um, You're going to make the legislature very nervous okay. if you keep saying that. All right. Well, they, they put their hands on the Bible and swear to uphold the Constitution. They ought to know what's in both documents. <laughs> or they shouldn't put their hands on it. Huh? So, we must also realize that the problems of racial injustice and economic injustice cannot be solved without a radical redistribution of political and economic power. That we spend $322,000 for each enemy we kill in Vietnam while we spend in the so-called warm poverty in America only about $53 for each person classified as poor. The promises of the great society have been shut down on the battlefield of Vietnam, making the poor, white and Negro, bear the heaviest burdens both at the front and at home. Anyone who moves through a major ghetto of our country will see the housing conditions. Uh, people don't have to be reminded that they are forced to live in slums in many instances, and they're often rat-infested, vermin-filled slums. And it isn't too hard to see the exploitation that the Negro confronts in the ghetto, where he is forced to pay uh, more for less and constantly trying to make ends meet, but because of either no job as a result of unemployment or uh, a job that is so uh, economically unprofitable that the person can't make ends meet. And I think they see all of these things, and more and more they are coming to see them. What is a moral economic system? Utilitarians like John Stuart Mills or Bentham would say, for the greatest good, for the greatest number. But since this allows for two very happy persons to make up for eight unhappy ones, it's not entirely egalitarian. John Rawls thought it was important that social and economic inequalities satisfied two conditions. The first was fair equality of opportunity. The second was that they had to be the greatest benefit of the least advantaged members of society. Part of Rawls' popularity is that every political ideology can find something that it likes. Liberals like the nod to equality of opportunity. Conservatives like that inequality is okay as long as everyone is better off. 
and progressives like that the benefits go to the least advantaged members of society. According to Karl Marx, the history of all societies is a history of class struggles. The hand mill exemplified feudalism as much as the steam mill exemplifies capitalism. So where does that leave us with the issue of race? I would argue that economic justice and racial justice are intertwined and cannot be separated. And here to discuss this with me today is Michael Graham of Actify Press. So Michael brought to my attention uh, this week, there was a study that was released by uh, Duke University, and it's called What We Get Wrong About Closing the Racial Wealth Gap. And I took a look at it last week, and it's actually a beautiful it's a beautiful study that sort of highlights things that I've been suspicious of and made arguments about for a long time. And um, so we're going to discuss that. Uh, so it goes through like 10 myths of, of why, why we have a disparity um, with wealth between blacks and whites. And they, they, the first thing that they bring up is that there's a difference between income and, and wealth. Wealth is something that's transferred from generation to generation, includes assets. It includes things other than a yearly income. And uh, and I think all too often people just look at salaries and think that that's the end of the discussion, and it's not. So what are your feelings on that? Yeah, I think I think a lot of that is, um, some of it is intentional, right? I mean, because an intentional effort, and a lot of it is, is from, is, is conservative effort, to avoid um, discussing inequality, right? Because wealth, wealth inequality is even greater than, than the income inequality, right? And when we oh, start yeah. talking about wealth inequality, we have to start talking about history, right? We have to be mm-hmm. honest that there's a reason why we haven't had the opportunity to build wealth, especially around housing, you know? And, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and, it, and it's just, it was just a, I think it was a dishonest effort to, to misinform people. Right. You know, and, and I don't disagree with that. And what I guess what bothers me most about the current state of affairs is we see uh, folks in the Democrat party as not just the Republicans trying to make the same arguments and, it sort of served as a central theme in the 2016 primary because, uh, you know, I saw a lot of the Clinton camp trying to use race as, you know, as a as a weapon almost against anybody that supported Bernie Sanders, and and they did it in more than one respect. I think the most offensive thing was this idea that that minorities were Clinton's firewall. I mean, I, really, I, you know, that particular terminology I, I found to be deeply offensive just because it seems to not only remove agency, like we're just going to rely on you. You owe me your vote no matter what I say or do. I mean, is that really how how liberals want to uh, perceive race issues? That That's the first part. And the second part is this idea that that race and uh, economics are not related because they are married. The problems with race in this country are deeply ingrained with economic problems. And to try to separate these two things is being um, inauthentic and disingenuous in a way. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it, I, I've said this before, I've said this before in other places, and I think I've written about it, is that, that was this whole, this, this whole 2015, 2016 uh, um, separation of economics and race was all about Hillary Clinton being scared of, of what Bernie Sanders represented, right? Because mm-hmm. the Clintons are always always touting their, their civil rights bona fides, which is garbage. They're touting their, their mm-hmm. policy bona fides about how much they help black people and we had jobs, da 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 But all, all yeah. of that is undermined by facts and data. <clears throat> and they're okay. always talking about um, how, much they, how much they love black people. 
But when Bernie comes aboard, he comes along with a real civil rights, with real civil rights board of days. If we're honest about it, a lot of people try to say it was a weekend thing. He just he wasn't really doing anything, which is a vile and dishonest uh, for somebody who's been a staunch ally of black people. And his and Bernie Bernie's always been been about he he always understood that economics was part of was a large part of the equation, right? And they right. knew that Bernie that that was a reality, and they had to find a way to beat that. Burn, making sure that South Carolina became the first state with body cameras. There's more work to be done, but you've got to lay down these markers. You got to build toward uh, common sense uh, gun reform, criminal justice uh, uh, reform, and all the like. So I think we've got a very uh, I think we've got somebody saying here we have we to bring to them to Okay, we'll talk I'm about. I'm not it. a super predator. They undermined the. They, they tried to undermine the connection between race and race and, uh, and economics. And those people who sat, especially the black people who sat by and did that, are unforgivably vile, right? And that's just yeah. my honest opinion. They are unforgivably vile, right? If mm-hmm. any any, there is no, there are zero solutions for the state of the state of Black America that did not um, that did not cost dollars, right? And to try to disconnect mm-hmm. the two and say that. Uh, economics is black folks is not about economics and stop listening to that old white man. You don't know nothing about what we go through and all this other crap. Why are you standing next to the Clintons of all people? That was vile. Yeah. And it was, it was, it yeah. was, um, when you have an opportunity to tell two black girls to shut up and get off stage and you don't and you shake their hand and you smile and you step to the side and you listen, that is a firm difference from turning around and staring at a little black girl and saying, shut up. I'll talk to you later. You're being rude or allowing people to say that to her. I'm going to tell you the proof is in the pudding every time. If I can find a picture of you from 51 years ago, chained to a black woman, protesting segregation, and I know 51 years later, you're willing to fold your arms, hold your head, and listen to two black girls yell and scream, rightfully so, as opposed to someone who will tell you to shut up after they read their own words. Well, can I talk? And then maybe you can listen to what I say. As opposed to someone who will tell you later when it comes to your children dying in the streets I know I know that the only person that I have the conscience to vote for is Bernard Sanders I know that the only person that my logical beautiful black mind will allow me to vote for is Senator Bernie Sanders and I want to tell the other side 
I know from going around and shaking hands and hugging these beautiful black faces in South Carolina, that goddamn firewall got a crack in it. Um, okay, back to the issues. Yes. Uh, the issues that I think report. Uh, yeah, repulsive, I, really. It is repulsive. I sort of laugh at that because I remember the Bernie has three houses argument that we heard repeatedly. And yeah. it was always ridiculous because the, the, the value of his three houses do not even total half the value of her estate in upstate New York. It's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, we, um, um, Paul, our, our mutual friend Paul, he pulled up a stat, um, pops nuts on, on Twitter, if you want to follow him. Oh, yeah, Great yeah. follow, smart guy. Yeah, a forever gentleman. Um, yeah, <clears throat> unlike me, but uh, <laughs> he, uh, he he brought up he found he he did some research on 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 the, on the network on a network of of Hillary uh, versus network. Bernie. That's another one. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's what I was looking for. Yeah, Hillary's worth twenty four million dollars by herself. Doesn't count Bill. All right, she's worth twenty four right, million dollars right. by herself, and Bernie's worth five hundred thousand dollars. This it's in, it's incomparable, it's, right? It's it just is. it's again it's untenable. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this this whole thing, um, and that, that also, also sits on a trope that drives me crazy, is that in order to be real about helping people, you have to live in poverty, right? And that and that, that right. whole trope is, is dumb to me as well. I mean, it's about incentives, right? We, we are, our, the American economic incentive structure is built on sociopathy, right? It's right. built on not giving crap, giving a crap about the people around you, right? We did right. that. That is, a, that is a problem within our system. Right. If we were um, if we were really about egalitarianism and equality, people would be rich. People would gain from doing good things for people. Right. For good outcomes right. for, for, the, for more people. Right. That's that's our upside down incentive system created by the system we live in now. Right. And conservatives yeah. and, and, and these centrists are, are and a lot of this built and a large part of it is built around white supremacy. Right. And and these oh, people are, are are undergirding it with these arguments, with these asinine arguments. They do nothing but harm no, black people as descendants of slaves and, and people of color. And there's no way to get that's around right. it if you're honest. If you're honest. That's the thing. Money mm. seems to distort everything. So let's talk a little bit about the data that was included in this report. Um, the first thing that I found interesting was blacks constitute around 13, 13% of the population, but they collectively, collectively own less than 3% of the wealth. This is really an important figure because it's a per capita comparison. You know, if you look at total um, percentages of population versus the total number figure. So, you know, if we were really egalitarian, this number, 3% number, would, would be more around 13%. Um, you know, and so it goes through, let's go through the myths because I'm going to get to a place where I'm going to say the only solution, and I'll just put this out there now, the only solution from my perspective is, is reparations. I don't think yeah, that's, you... That's the, only, that's the only honest solution we can talk about, right? That's really, I mean, in my opinion, uh, people don't like to talk about it because it's been, it's been poo-pooed, and I also think that's driven by the folks that don't want it to happen because there are a lot of big companies out there that benefited from, from, that's right. from, uh, from slavery, right? I mean, Every any insurance company that's over fifty years old, you better believe they've been inflated. All these old banks that have been around, and the companies that bought up those banks, uh, they, yeah. they, they and you can't tell me they don't know how to evaluate. They don't know how to evaluate past assets. You can't tell me they can't do that. I don't. I refuse well, to believe can. that. Right? If you yeah, can't, if the bank can. can't evaluate past assets, everybody needs to be fired and be stuff from scratch. Right? I mean, it really no, exactly. Is that <laughs> I agree. They can evaluate, and they know it's going to cost right. billions of dollars, and that's why they don't. Absolutely, trillions. We're talking trillions. If you 
look at just the, the um, labor cost alone for what was received for free on, on in every plantation on the South, that you're already totally millions of dollars, but all of that went into a system in which money was transferred from one group to another, and that that system was perpetuated all the way through Jim Crow. It was perpetuated into the redlining of mortgages for houses. All of these things are, have led to a certain um, a certain space in which the wealth inequality is not going to be equalized unless we do something in this way. That's that's my strong yeah, opinion. There's got to be something drastic to to do something for for, for, for and, to fight inequality, yeah. right? Especially along race lines. And that was part. That's part of that was the. Um, that was why it was so repugnant to see these black people lining up with Hillary saying that the economics are separate, yeah. right? And then, yeah, then yeah. some of them will say, well, well, Bernie's not talking about reparations. I said, when did Hillary and Obama talk about reparations, right? Why is, why is there a different right. standard for Bernie, right? I mean, that's just mm -hmm. the reality of it, right? And reparations has this, um, these negative connotations, and, and also that was attributed by some, a bunch of dishonest people in the conservative movement. Trying to get, trying to hide for this responsibility, right? <clears throat> this is this, and this is a national responsibility because this is built on policy created by our government, right? This is not something, and this is something, and well, black people had zero power, less than zero power, right? We were three fifths of a, of a human being, right? If we were lucky, right? We, we we had no power to make these decisions, yet we suffered from those those decisions, and. And we're here today. We're still suffering from those from those decisions, right? And we have yet to see remedy. Yet to see remedy. People always talking about, well, the welfare programs that, but the most white people, especially in the beginning, right? The welfare programs. We're talking about keeping you from drowning. We're not talking about getting your own boat, right? <laughs> it's a, it's a right. huge difference. And yeah. I, and, and, this, and again, this, I, I'll say it again, and I'm going to say it to the day I die. That's what made these folks these these. Uh, these uh, these black folks standing by Hillary so so oh, so disgusting to me, right? Yeah. It's one thing, okay, make your money, boo boo. I'm all for you making a buck, right? But if you're if you're making a buck based on hurting your entire the entire black community, I, I don't I, I got nothing for you. I can't help you, man, woman, or child. I can't yeah. help you at all. I got I got nothing for you. Absolutely nothing for you. No, and I think you're right on that. And you know, it's interesting when. When I was uh, in grad school and I was, we had classes um, that we oversaw with the undergrads, and there was one um, class on, on race, and, and I was in the class listening to some of the undergrads argue, and I, what I noticed, the most stark arguments occurred between black Europeans and black Americans, and it became really clear to me that the differential thing was that the black Europeans hadn't gone through the legacy of the slavery in the United States. So they didn't really understand why you couldn't just say, well, we have equality now, so that's that. And if you look at the, the uh, wealth disparities between, I mean, Europe is, let's be honest, Europe is racist as fuck. Anybody that doesn't think Europe isn't, isn't racist or equally racist as the United States is completely wrong. It is on more than one level. And in fact, there might be countries that I would say have um, higher rates of neo-Nazis in them. But tangential to that point is, is this wealth thing. Uh, there is a bigger disparity in wealth in the United States than there are other nations when it comes between looking at the figures between black populations and white populations. And so it's, it, that just makes it ever more clear that the issue is, is this thing right here. You know, they didn't have yeah. the Jim Crow, the redlining. They had other forms of racism, but they didn't have the economic forms. And, and that's yeah. what I'm trying to get at.
Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of, a lot of, I mean, especially in, in, in African countries, right? In African countries, you have a strata of black people, right? There's rich black people, there's poor black people, there's black people in the middle, right? But a good large majority are poor. I, I, in a lot of countries, I get that. But they, a lot of times, black people don't, a lot of African people that come here don't understand how that history impacted us, right? Because all they see is, we have a lot more opportunity than than we had before, right? Which in some mm. in some ways that's a um, that's a myth, right? It's a it's a yeah. it's a it's a figment of our as Archie Bookie used to say, it's a fig newton of our imagination, right? Because people right. tell us we have more opportunity doesn't mean we have more opportunity because obviously we're here and we're in worse shape than we were in the sixties, right? And that's the reality of it. And I think a lot of people don't understand. Um, that the reason we do have some equality, uh, and I, and I, and I fault some of my African brothers and sisters on this, is that, um, they don't understand that it's set on the shoulders of people who fought and died for the rights for African Americans that should have been set, that should have been set aside for the African Americans, right? But it wasn't. It, well, initially it was satisfied for it. If you listen to, uh, what Lyndon B. Johnson said in his speech at, at Howard, right? If you listen to that speech, you'll Freedom is the right to share share fully and equally in American society to vote, to hold a job, to enter a public place, to go to school. It is the right to be treated in every part of our national life as a person equal in dignity and promise to all others. But freedom is not enough. You do not wipe away the scars of centuries by saying now, you are free to go where you want and do as you desire and choose the leaders you please. You do not take a person who for years has been hobbled by chains and liberating, bringing up to the starting line of a race and then say, you are free to compete with all the others and still justly believe that you have been completely fair. Thus, it is not enough just to open the gates of opportunity. All our citizens must have the ability to walk through those gates. And this is the next and the more profound stage of the battle for civil rights. We seek not just freedom, but opportunity. We seek not just legal equity, but human ability not just equality as a right and a theory, but equality as a fact and equality as a result. You understand very clearly this, this was set aside, this, this, these uh, policies were set aside for, for African Americans, right? Descendants, actual descendants mm -hmm. of slaves. But, and, you right. know, that was quickly undermined, um, that was quickly undermined, and went, added women to the list, and you, then you add, um, not saying, that women shouldn't have shouldn't have policies to help them. Well, I'm saying that these, this particular set of policies were set aside for black for black African for African American descendants of slaves. No one else. That's right.
But yeah. that got undermined by everybody and their grandmother getting in line. For these, and and, it, and that includes um, black Af- Africans that come here. And um, these, these, I mean, these programs were set aside for African-Americans. It is what it is, right? But a lot of Africans will come here. And Africans, especially Africans with money, right? As I mean, everybody thinks that um, a lot of people think that, a lot, uh, that Africans are poor. There's a lot of rich Africans yeah. out there, right? And they come yeah. here with money. They can pay cash for their, or, or they can pay cash for their the education they get here, right? Or they come here with an education, right? Because they, these the people that get here, they're strivers, right? They they come from a striver class, and they have then a lot of them already have financial underpinning. They'll go back home and have a maid and a driver and all this other good stuff, right? And they get mm-hmm. here, and they quickly get on the white supremacy bandwagon of black folks don't want to do no work, right? But that's not that's never been true of black people. I mean, we they 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 brought us they brought us thousands of miles for our labor, right? It's not it's not, right, it's not that right. we're not willing to work. It's never that's never been the case. That's a bullshit trope. No, but I mean, it but, is a but, real but the trope, yeah. yeah, but systematic white supremacy is is really it's a, it becomes like a sickness after a while. It's contagious, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you and you and you're if you're in the system and you take the cues from the people who who built the system to to benefit themselves. If you take the cues from them, of course we're gonna we're gonna look like we're a bunch of lazy folks that don't want to do anything. But and 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 for for a lot of us, it's learned helplessness, right? Because when you right. when you sit in poverty for for generations, and you see people around you, people that did the right thing, you know, people went to the military and tried to build a life and came right back. You know, people did great in school and go to college and come right back because they don't have the money to pay for it uh, to, to 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 stay uh, to stay in school, right? You see, all these people right. who did the right thing, but they're sitting right next to you. Didn't really get anywhere because the system is so tilted, so 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 slanted. And then you look around, it's like, man, what, I, what can I do? You know? And people right. are like, ah, fuck it. I don't. I'm not. Excuse me. Excuse my French. I'm not going to. In every other group that came as an immigrant, somehow, not easily, but somehow, got around it. Is it just the fact that Negroes are black? White America must see that no other ethnic group has been a slave on American soil. Uh, that is one thing that other immigrant groups haven't had to face. The other thing is that the color became a stigma. American society made the Negroes' color a stigma. America freed the slaves in 19, I mean 1863 through the Emancipation Proclamation of Abraham Lincoln, but gave the slaves no land are nothing in reality, and as a matter of fact, to, to get started on. At the same time, America was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that there was a willingness to give the white peasants from Europe an economic base. And yet it refused to give its black peasants from Africa who came here involuntarily in chains and had worked free for 244 years any kind of economic base. And so emancipation for the Negro was really freedom to hunger. It was freedom uh, to the winds and rains of heaven. It was freedom without food to eat or land to cultivate. And therefore, it was freedom and famine at the same time. And when white Americans tell the Negro to lift himself by his own bootstraps, they don't, they don't look over the legacy of slavery and segregation. I believe we ought to do all we can and seek to lift ourselves by our own bootstraps. But uh, it's a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And many Negroes, by the thousands and millions, have been left bootless 
as a result of all of these years of oppression and as a result of a society that deliberately made his color a stigma and something worthless and degrading. That's partially on us, right? But it's, but it's something that's inflicted upon us, intentionally inflicted upon us, right? Okay. And you see, and, and that, that's why, um, and a lot of it is, is you know, it's, it's um, violently inflicted upon us, right? I, I mean, if you look, look at these, the killing, the killing of Mike Brown, that was a lynching. That was a lynching. Yeah. They left his body out yeah. there to bake in the sun as a message. Yeah, that was gross. Right? Yeah. yeah. We own these streets. That was the message. Right? That was yeah. the message loud and clear. For black folks, that message oh, yeah. was loud and clear. And if anybody was honest, that message is loud and clear. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. It's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's a message that we've been, we've been hearing and seeing all of our time here. Right? And it is no, there's no way to get around that. And this, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's just a, it's a frustrating. Let's go back to what we're talking about. It's frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is like, super frustrating. frustrating. Because you know, I, got, I have kids and grandkids that have to grow up in this, right? I try to yeah. let them know what's really going on and, and try to give them a foundation and try to give them, um, try to give them a, an understanding of how the world works, how it really works, but also giving them the opportunity to get a good education and, and, and all these other things. I also train them. Uh, I also teach them how to defend themselves. You know, I have to, there's this foundation that, that you have to build for a black child. And it's yeah. sad that we ha it has to be different for us, right? But like the talk we always talk about black people have to have with their children, right? And, and, mm -hmm. uh, and I, and I, and I, I have, a, I, I have a little, right? My, 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 I'm, um, we had some, we had went through some troubles when I was growing up, but I, I'm doing well. My family's doing okay, right? <clears throat> and we, and we're in a, we're in a nice suburb. Um, based on my job, right? Um, and, and we're doing okay, but I still have to have these conversations with my kids. Yeah. Right? And I, yeah. And I, I, t I tell my kids, like this guy in the Waffle House that shot these four, these four, um, the three black kids in the one, in the one, I, I think it was Hispanic, the other kid didn't kill, right? These people are out there, right? And they're, and yeah. they're, these people are undergirded by the system, right? These, this, right. these people are, you, I mean, every time we see the NRA out there, these are the people that they're talking to, right? They're not, they're not mm -hmm. talking to anybody but these people, right? They, these are the people who say, hey, we, we, we're going to take our country back. These are the people they're talking to. These, that's the dog whistles. That's the, pe that's the people they're talking to. And a lot of that, that is, is built on our inability to take, pe take people to ask the court, right? We, we stop, so we, we, you know, yep. we, we can't, we don't, have, we don't have the lawyers. We can't afford lawyers because we don't have the money, right? Uh, and a lot of it is, money, yeah. and because and, money is power in this, in, in this country. It's never been any different. Money is power. Does it, is it, yeah. does it have less of an impact for black people? Yes, of course. Even a rich black person can still get got by the cops because because of, cause oh of the social God. aspects of this. Of this of right. This. But if you live in a nice neighborhood, it's less likely you get shot by a cop. I mean, there's no way to get around that. That's right. right. <laughs> My kids That's, still no, see that, true. but they don't see it as much as other kids would do, as other kids do. Right. Because the black people aren't in these neighborhoods the way they are in other neighborhoods. I mean, it just, it is what it is. If anybody yes, who says Michael, that, that's that, a really salient point you're making right now. I just want to mm -hmm. highlight that. It's a really salient point. Nobody is mm -hmm. suggesting, nobody is suggesting that completely fixing the economics will eliminate racism. It won't. We're not, not suggesting that. But mm -hmm. we are suggesting that unless, this is the important part, unless we fix the economic aspect of our racist mm -hmm. history, we don't give anybody a fair shot at a good life. And I think that's what Absolutely. we really need to talk about. We cannot get into somebody's heart and mind and change the way they perceive somebody. That's no, absolutely, not, absolutely. But we, but, but we, get, but, but again, we get set up a system of incentives and disincentives, right? And we, we set up a system where, okay, right. you're going to jail 
it's a hate crime. You're going to jail for 90 days, no matter what. <laughs> right? If we start right. saying exactly. stuff like that, you know, if we start exactly. saying, if we start saying, okay, um, like we, when I was in, when I was uh, uh, growing up in New Jersey, so it, uh, we had a saying three to five automatic, right? You do three to five years automatically if you do a crime with a gun, right? <clears throat> yeah. I understand that was used against black people and it's a horrible thing. I get it, right? But <clears throat> if you do a hate crime, three to five automatic, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Stuff like that and start getting, going after these people. There was a time when the FBI used to go after white supremacists. That's not the case anymore, right? I mean, and they did, no, there was a study. Right. Bush administration did what, 2006? And said that the yeah. white supremacists were intensely infiltrating law enforcement, right? And anybody who, who knows cops well, <laughs> and anybody who's been around cops, they know there's a lot of white supremacy in those systems, right? I mean, and that's yeah. just, I mean, you know, you, that's an honesty, right? I mean, you don't have to be happy that's about honesty, it, but yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, I don't disagree. And I think, uh, you know, I think like what we saw in Charlottesville is a really prime example of what you're discussing. You look at the video mm -hmm. and you had you had these neo-Nazis with armed. They were armed. And, you know, there was a couple of videos of one of them shooting the ground around the uh, protesters. And the mm -hmm. cops are just standing there watching this. They're doing nothing. And then later yep. on, you flash forward to that group of neo-Nazis that were uh, beating up that guy, the black guy, almost to death. And again, mm -hmm. the cops did nothing. And then they turn around and they and mm -hmm. they arrested the uh, guy that got beat up. And I'm like, what in the ever loving hell? Uh, it, this is insane. <laughs> so this this is, this is like yeah, it's, and, and it's what's happening. It's, um, it's it's also and the part of that is that social pressure, right? I'm not I'm I'm not the one. I'm not I'm not the guy that's going to say that all cops are bad, right? A lot of them, all them cops are just goodness, people just trying to do a, just trying to do a job and 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 get get, get their money. And especially in a system where jobs when where good uh, solid jobs are hard to find, this is one of those jobs where people can get in and make a good living, right? But there are bad people in the system, and not enough of them get reported. Let's be honest about that, right? So, <clears throat> but and I and I've also trained with police, martial arts and stuff, and I get it, right? A lot of them are just people trying to do a job, but the system is broken. Right. It's that social pressure. Even if even if I'm a good guy trying to do the right thing, that social right. pressure within within that system is going to force me to be quiet because I know that if I yeah, make too much noise, I'm not going to get promoted. I'm not going to get backed up when things get hot. You know, this, I mean, this, this is what yeah. I hear from cops. <laughs> you can't tell me this is, you know, because they have to survive in this system. It reminds me of the candidate we have here in L.A. running for sheriff. He got derailed yeah, for every yeah. promotion he went up through the ranks. I mean, he was even though he, mm -hmm. has, he has a doctor's degree, he mm -hmm. scored highly on all the tests, and he was still like the last of four people in his initial class to be promoted to lieutenant. And you can't tell me that this isn't sort of retaliation for him being vocal on all of these Absolutely. issues. I know Absolutely. it is. We thought, we, if you're, we're talking about if we're going to discuss toxic masculinity, Law enforcement is the epicenter <laughs> of toxic yeah. masculinity. Yeah. It absolutely yeah. is, right? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and there's really no way to get around that. I mean, I, I recognize that um, police law enforcement is, is an important part of any civil society, right? Mm -hmm. But they, yeah. shouldn't be go, they shouldn't go unquestioned, right? It should, there I shouldn't agree. be a system in place where, where, the, where there's, a system, there's a different set of laws for for um for, for law enforcement, yeah. right? And that, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, it just shouldn't be, right? <clears throat> but there, yeah. but it is, and the Supreme Court has backed that, which makes it extremely dangerous. Now, even more dangerous than it was before, being in activism, right? Because mm -hmm. cops yep. can really make you disappear. I mean, it is what it is, right? That's why yeah. you saw them going after 
going after the uh, the leftists in, in Georgia this weekend. Yeah, right. They were yeah. going after yeah, the protesters, right. right? And you know, I, you know, you know the the guys on the right are always like, yeah, see, see, they're they're violent, whatever, whatever. Yeah, but but you went and got a permit so you would get police protection, right? I mean, <laughs> let's let's be real about where you are. Right, you wouldn't got right, a because right. you could have got yourself, you could have got you and your people together and walked through town if that's what you really are all about. Some of the people who were in the SWAT here, yeah. they showed up um, and they said, "Hey, anybody who's wearing a mask, we will arrest you soon. Back off, take off your mask, or else we will arrest you." Of course, people didn't like that, um, so a lot of chanting started, and then the police started stepping forward. Um, some people like went around, like jumped up on like there's ledge here and like went around the police. A lot of other people went across the street over there, and then that's where they got kind of penned in by the police. And then several of them got arrested over there. You can see there's a there's a prison bus there now. Police ran into the crowd at the people in the front, and then they just dragged a people, couple people down. And there was one person with uh, their face pressed against the ground, and yeah. then they arrested them. To make sure that these folks don't have any illusion these nazis when they come into our neighborhoods and our towns that they don't have the support that they think they have that white folks hate are against them and they're they're completely divisive and evil and we're out here to make sure that they don't uh, continue to organize and spread hate in our communities folks are folks folks are sick and tired of this white supremacy shit because people are realizing that, that it's not just black people that are suffering right everybody who makes right. less than hundred thousand dollars a year is suffering, right? People right. are realizing that now, and this is this right. is a time for, for solidarity, and it's coming. It's coming. I agree. It's coming. Yeah. So on that note, let's go through uh, the different. Yeah, let's go through. I'm sorry. I no, no, no. Up. I mean, is, <laughs> well, it's easy to get wound up on the subject. This is a good yeah, that we're going to discuss. So mm -hmm. the first myth they bring up is greater educational attainment or more mm -hmm. work effort on the part of blacks will close the racial wealth gap. Um, this yeah, that's is a big one. Yeah. It is bullshit. I, and especially in this particular day and age, my first uh, response to this is, well, that's not entirely true because the cost of, of an education in this country is so, it's so mm -hmm. bad now. Even if you attend a public university like a UC school, you're yeah. going to take on debt. There's no two ways around it. So now as you're mm -hmm. taking on more debt, um, once you graduate, you acquire this debt, you're already at a disadvantage, or you drop out due to the debt and you don't finish your degree, you still have the debt. So this is going to happen at a higher rate among the minority populations because they don't have the family wealth in place to, uh, mm -hmm. family wealth is a solid predictor of educational attainment. I, I think Absolutely. this is an, 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 an absolute truth. And mm -hmm. if you have the assets to put your kids through college, I mean, I look, I'm an example of this. I, let me own something mm -hmm. right now. You know, I come from a very privileged family, and I know that I do. You know, my mm -hmm. parents put me through private high school. They paid for me to go to a college prep private high school. Um, I graduated mm -hmm. top of my class. <laughs> I, have a, I have a graduate degree, and I never had to take a student loan. So I'm a prime mm -hmm. example of what I'm talking about. You cannot possibly tell me that that's not privilege of course it is and it has everything to do mm -hmm. with my family having wealth that that they've had in, for generations passed down you know and my family is not american i'm a first born american my family's from sweden but but nonetheless mm -hmm. this is this is a truism and anyone that's in denial of this is completely full of shit in my opinion absolutely yeah yeah absolutely now, i mean it's it, it, 
it's college. I think it's what, uh, the average black woman, the, you know, the, the the segment of the country that has the, the highest college attainment. Um, it's, it's, it's a, you know, the average black woman starts their work life after college with negative twelve thousand yeah. dollars wealth, and a lot of that is history, and a lot of that is yeah. um, how the system yeah. works, student loans and so forth, so on and so forth, right? Right. Uh, and That's when you right. look at a system like that, right, you're starting off at a disadvantage, right? And people, That's people, right. Um, and you, and you start with a disadvantage, so you have to take whatever job is available, right? That's why you have all these college college graduates um, doing uh, Uber and and all this other stuff, right? Because it's the only space you have to try to make a living while you're trying to um, get your life together, right? And and a lot and a lot of people blame the students, but that's all that's been that's been the American promise for decades. Go to college and get a yeah. and get a good a, get a good education. And there'll be a job waiting for you. Blah 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 blah. Right? Yeah, and but that's yeah. not the truth. Right? That's not that was a that right. was a stone cold lie. Right? And yeah. and um and you if you don't understand how, and this one of the problems is people are doing students are doing it now. Students are doing more research about what jobs are available when you get out. Right? People are doing that now. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And when you when you get out of college, so. What jobs are projected over the next you know decade or so, um, uh, Dr. Carnavale? At, uh, yeah, no, sport. you know, Michael, this is this is yeah. an important point you're making. There are there, and this is true of both of, of any ethnicity or race. There, mm-hmm. the the job the jobs available are slimmer than they would have been mm-hmm. 40 years ago to a college graduate. So that's sort of a trope right there. But I think Absolutely. the bigger differential thing is again the wealth. If you look at the data for for whites versus blacks with postgraduate degrees. So these are people in my in my area mm-hmm. that have, you know, a postgraduate degree. The the mm-hmm. average household net worth for for the white person is going to be four hundred and fifty five thousand dollars. For the black person it's going to be hundred and forty one thousand dollars. That's a huge, huge difference. Now granted that mm-hmm. guy's much better off than the guy that has less than a high school education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's why that's why I'll never say getting an education doesn't make sense, right? You have better yeah, chances, but I mean, if you if you look at another another point they made in the study was that uh, it would ta- it takes it takes a black person to get to the, that postgraduate level equal to what somebody with an associate's degree has, what a, a white person has with an associate's degree in wealth, right? That is yeah. that is yeah, that right. is so that is so soul crushing. <laughs> it's it's, it it, it's, so it's yeah, mind numbing yeah. if you're really honest about this data, right? And this yeah, doesn't say anything about this is not about. Um, Black people's inability to understand. It's not about our, 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 it's not about how smart we are. It's not about how driven we are. This is just the data. This is the system what we set up, right? And this is the system that's under, this, that's based on white supremacy and it's, yeah. it's undergirded and, and it's, and it's supported 100% by, you know, by, by folks who were running the system, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's what, the, again, back, back to, you know, these, these Hillerites. That are that were you know talking about you know saying economics right. was disconnected from from blackness um, yeah. and, and I wrote one article you know it's the, our, our presence here has always been about economics you know it, it wasn't we we weren't brought here um, to go on a vacation this wasn't a cruise they put us on on those ships we were brought here to work that's economics right we were brought here for labor yeah. that's somebody else's gain on our loss. It does. You know, and here's the other thing I bring up, and I, and I agree with this. Um, another mm-hmm. common misconception is that back, black families have a cultural predisposition to undervalue education, meaning that they culturally <laughs> don't. Yeah, yeah, you laugh, and you should laugh, because that's, that's fucking ridiculous. I mean, this is, yeah, absolutely. This, this is the sort of thing that I talked about in my thesis paper, and this is, this is what I'm going to call baked in 
biodeterminism. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have yeah, a group yeah. of, of folks that, that are, you know, we're, okay, let me backtrack because maybe a lot of folks don't know this, but, but the concept of race itself, when we're talking about racial taxonomy, this came out of biology in the 18th century. You had Blumenbach and, mm-hmm. and Linnaeus, a Swede no less. They came mm-hmm. up with these taxonomies and baked into their taxonomies were these sort of conceptions about how races behave. So it wasn't entirely uh, phenotypes or, or appearances. So there was this mm-hmm. idea that if you were black, you were lazy. You were, you know, all of the tropes that, that you can go down that have, have um, still been baked into our, our racist ideology in the country. Mm-hmm. Those, those came out of the, these 18th century taxonomies. You know, and here's this guy that these folks that are making these arguments, they think that this is, this is just a, a scientific fact of the matter, that there's no sort of <laughs> yeah. But they yeah. just <laughs> forth and say, like, no, this is, it's baked. No, this is racist bullshit. It's, 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 there's no predisposition to anything. I mean, this mm-hmm. is just, this is strictly a situation in which you have disadvantaged families that don't have the same amount of wealth. They are struggling to make ends meet. How are they supposed to pay for fucking 50K a year in a college education when they can yeah, barely absolutely. find a job to put food on their table? Community colleges. Is the only is really the only shot a lot of families have, you know. Uh, uh, community yeah. college, you know, especially if they're if it's tied to the local economy and it's and it's geared toward a job, those I will always support that. But um, we but uh, on the other side of that is unfortunately it's black people that have to go to these, but people especially black people have to go to these these smaller schools because. Um, college is is, is uh is more is more expensive now. People, nobody can tell me that it wasn't intentional. Say okay, I especially a state like California, right? State of California is very proud of their college system, right? But they want to take money out of that college system and make college more expensive for the student, and that that right. impacts people of color, black people more than anybody, right? Absolutely. And 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 you can't, and you know it's just and all the stuff you know. One of the biggest tropes that come that that I don't I don't know I'm not sure if it was mentioned in this. They admit that I think they touched on it. One of the biggest tropes is that black people are more criminal, right? And we that that's right. what they use to say we don't deserve, right? But crime is always driven by need, and Poverty. need is yeah. driven by economics, right? Damn right, and that's the bottom yeah. line, right? And pe- people, and the more desperate the need, the more violent the crime, right? And th- and that's right. just and we as black people, because of the way the system is built, we live in more concentrated poverty. Therefore, the need is higher. Right. And this is all logic if you just sit back and look. Right. Because it's not just black people. Right. This happens in the Tower Blocks of London. It happens in, in the, the favelas in, in Rio. Happens anywhere. You have right, poverty. Right. Poverty. poverty. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's the You're poverty in the system that's built, that's baked, that's baked into the pie intentionally. Right. Yep. Especially yep. under a system like capitalism. It's intentionally baked into the sure. pie because you have to have winners and losers. Right. Capitalism thrives on division. Right. And that's why that that's why this system is the way it is, because it's about division, right. dividing people and conquering them for their labor, land and natural right. resources. On the one hand, you've got to appeal to some of those Trump voters who maybe have that economic pain. But some people are afraid now if we go after too much of that, we're going to be putting those black women who are, who are the backbone of this party on, on the back seat. I mean, how do you balance Man, this out? This I, is a I, tough thing. How do you, you help you you me on this one? This is what I think. It goes without, sta- without saying that we have got to combat institutional racism and sexism and homophobia in every way that we can. We can't give Trump an inch on that. But on the other hand, whether you are a white working class guy in Kansas 
or a young African-American in Brooklyn, New York, you know what? You want wages that you can live on. I talk about the working class. This is not white people. Over 50% of black workers in America make less than 15 bucks an hour. Do you know what it would mean if we raised that minimum wage to $15 an hour? A huge wage increase for African-American and Latino uh, workers. Well, you know, another issue that we don't talk about enough, I think, unions. Yes. The labor unions. Absolutely. All right. And that's all it's about. Poor and you keep them in line. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. There, there, there is a motivation to keep the minority populations without equal op- economic opportunity. There is a strict motivation mm-hmm. for this. If you that's, keep them poor, you true. keep them in line. They're never going. Yeah, it's true. I mean, look at the SAT test back on the education thing. When I was in my college prep school, I had an entire year of vocabulary class. I kid you not, a year of vocabulary class in which they drilled into our brains all of these crazy words that appear into the SAT test. Why? Well, because yep. they knew that we would get higher scores by virtue of this. If you don't know what, do not know what the word bellicose means, how are you supposed to answer a question that uses bellicose in it? It's really that simple. Yeah, absolutely. So what, absolutely. what was the motivation for that? And you're in a, if you're an education system that's intentionally defunded, right? Intentionally defunded, yeah. right? It's not, this, isn't a, this isn't something that's, um, that just happened. Right. This would happen just all okay, right. we, uh, you know, we lost some money and suddenly schools were bad. No, this is what was yeah, intentionally they were privatized funded, intentionally. Right? That's right. You're correct yeah, on that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's all part of this system of, of, of white supremacy that we're living in. Right. Things. Yeah. Um, I used to think we used to say that things were getting better since the 60s. But after the crash. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Things no, are going know, in reverse. Right? right. Yeah. Things are going in reverse. They and have been going and, in reverse. And, and, Every measurement will tell you the same thing. Things are going in reverse. And if we don't That's do right. something drastic, and it's, I, think it was, uh, tw- I think it was a study done by 2032, average black wealth will be at zero, right? Mm-hmm. If we don't do something drastic, right? And we was, I mean, <laughs> uh, Jim Crow was drastic, right? Peonage, yeah. drastic. Slavery, yeah. drastic, right? We have no problem yeah. with doing drastic things that benefits the rich people. Right. That's right. But we we always have a problem doing drastic things um, to to, to help it. people who who have been harmed. Right. That's we right. can't. We it's like um like the bank like the bank bailed us. Right. We did yeah. something drastic. We gave them we gave the bank seventeen trillion dollars. Right. And, and <clears throat> under uh, yeah under Obama and under 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 uh, Bush. Right. We gave the bank seventeen trillion dollars. There's no yeah. way to get around that. That was something drastic we did to save rich people. Michael, and the only two, the only two banks, or the a bank and a guy, I should say, one bank and a guy that were prosecuted from this entire thing was an Indian guy and a Korean bank. Like what? Okay, so let's we can't prosecute. (laughs) Let's go. Yeah, you laugh, but it's fucking true. And and that's and that's another reason why uh, wealth is so important now, right? If you don't have any money, you're not a player in politics at all. Right. No. All we got is our no. vote. And a lot of times they just take That's that for it. granted. They're misinformers, 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 you know, firewall. and take us for granted. Firewall. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The fire, yeah. Firewall. Right. And, you know, we, and they've been throwing that at us for I don't know how long, you know, since, since, yeah. since uh, Bernie lost in his house. When you're white, you don't know what it's like to be living in a ghetto. You don't know what it's like to be poor. You don't know what it's like to be hassled when you walk down the street or you get dragged out of a car. And I believe that as a nation in the year 2016, we must be firm in making it clear 
We will end institutional racism and reform a broken criminal justice system. What I meant to say is when you talk about ghetto, traditionally what you're talking about is African-American communities. There's nobody on this campaign, and occasionally you might want to write about it or mention it, nobody on this campaign who has talked about poverty, whether it is in the white community, the black community, the Latino community, more than I have. We have 47 million people living in poverty in America. And in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, that is a disgrace, absolutely. I've talked about that issue more than anybody else. What I meant by that is I think many white people are not aware of the kinds of pressures uh, and the kind of police uh, uh, oppression that sometimes takes place within the African-American community. So you have uh, in the African-American communities, uh, you have police officers abusing people. Uh, and and that, is, that is the point that I tried to make. But I don't want to be lectured about talking about poverty, whether it's white, black, Latino. Nobody in this campaign has talked about it more. And nobody in this uh, campaign cycle who has proposed more specific ideas on how to address uh, Carl Bernie a racist because he said something of that nature is yeah, it's stupid. It's gross. It is absolutely ignorant. I love I, 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 Hillary Clinton chained to a black woman pro protesting segregation. <laughs> yeah, show me that. Show me those show photos. Me that. For fucking sake, <laughs> me. I'll wait. Like, it's yeah, because, exactly. Even if you didn't Thank want you. to support Bernie for president, going after him yeah. in that capacity was just gross. It's so disrespectful. Yeah, we have to be honest. It was a psyop against black people, right? Yeah, it was it really an absolute psyop. And Bernie's getting out on the road because the things he's saying ring so true, and that's the power of, of what of what he's doing. I mean, people say he's not being um, he's not sensitive enough on race. I don't. I'm not buying that shit. And that's just me. Um, <clears throat> but he's talking about economics. He's talking about he's talking about stuff that's real to people, right? I don't right. care what you think about me. It's about how much power you have over me. Right. I, I, what you th what people think about you is, is irrelevant. Right. But what can they do to impact you and your family? That becomes the question. That's where the power dynamics come from. Right? And that's and yeah. we'll never have an equality in those power dynamics if we don't start talking about a winning in economics. Right. And 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 we as yep. we as we as we as black people and people of color and 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 right thinking white people. We're, we're learning now. People are realizing. I mean, if you look at all the polls, Bernie's the most popular dude on the planet. We're, we have no power because the Democrats just run us over because we don't have any other choices, or they feel we don't have any other choices, right? Myth number two and number three together because they think that they are intertwined. Myth number two mm -hmm. is homeowners. If uh, black people own more houses, they'd be able to close the wealth gap. And number three is. And this is probably number three is the most counterintuitive out of all of them, but they are related. Is uh, make sure you do your banking with banks that are owned by black folk. You couldn't get a bank loan because of redlining mortgage laws. This was true everywhere. It was true here in Los Angeles. I mean, we have so in the county of Los Angeles versus the city of Los Angeles, you have a high higher rate of black home ownership because for a long time. Black folks couldn't buy houses in the city of LA. There was redlining all the way up into the 50s and 60s here. So, um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's one of the things is obviously mm -hmm. related to that because these are having to do with bank loans. And here's the thing: is, mm -hmm. is even if you had it here in 2018, black people bought up, you know, houses at 30 percent more than what they have now. It wouldn't change the fact that there's still this legacy wealth thing that happens. If you have five mm -hmm. or six generations of home ownership where the parents have been passing down the houses. 
to their kids for five mm -hmm. or six generations. The accumulated wealth there is going to be astronomical. If you buy a house for $20,000 and now it's worth a million, do the math on that. Plus, there's no mortgage on it because it's already owned. I mean, it should mm -hmm. be clearly obvious to yeah. anybody why this argument is completely ridiculous. Yeah, especially in an evergreen city like Los Angeles, you know, Los Angeles right. is not, not so severely impacted by uh, by bank by bank crashes, right? Yeah, of course it's going to be impacted, but there's enough wealth there. There's plenty. There's plenty of wealth there. You know, San Francisco is another city like that, right? It's, it's another evergreen yeah. city, and and, uh, and a lot of these cities are post-black, right? <laughs> yeah. The, the uh, yeah. L.A. because, like you were saying, yeah. part of the system, part of the problem was that the system of redlining kept black people out of these right. out of out of these what are now ritzy neighborhoods, right? You know, That's I think I saw true. a study where, you know, the a house bought for, you know, $45,000 in the 70s is now worth, a, you know, a million, a million and a half, you know, in, in, exactly. in Los Angeles. That's right. That's some That's serious exactly wealth, right. especially when you don't, you, you don't have any payments. You, that's ownership. That's right. Right? That's right. a serious right. freaking wealth, like San Francisco, right? The San Francisco yeah. is, is in a post-black post phase because the people, because the law enforcement chased everybody out and, and uh, Kamala Harris played a huge part in that. Right, yeah. she played a huge <laughs> part in in, in 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 locking up black folks, right? Trying to drive yeah. people out of out of these out of these areas where they wanted to uh, that just, they wanted to gentrify, right? That was you right. know that's you know that's how she made her bones, right? And and not prosecuting Mnuchin, right? Yeah, she and, was, but, she refused to prosecute him. I mean, it's mm -hmm. remarkable to me. He yeah. was robo signing people out of their houses. She Former was. California Attorney General Kamala Harris on Wednesday vaguely acknowledged the Intercept's report about her declining to prosecute Stephen Mnuchin's One West Bank for foreclosure violations in 2013, but offered no explanation. It's a decision my office made, she said, in response to questions from the Hill shortly after being sworn in as California's newest U.S. senator. We went and we followed the facts and the evidence, and it's a decision my office made, Harris said. We pursued it just like any other case. We go and we take a case wherever the facts lead us. Mnuchin is Donald Trump's nominee to run the Treasury Department and served as CEO of One West from 2009 to 2015. In an internal memo published on Tuesday by The Intercept, prosecutors at the California Attorney General's office said they had found over a thousand violations of foreclosure laws by his bank during that time and predicted that further investigation would uncover many thousands more. But the investigation into what the memo called widespread misconduct was closed after Harris's office declined to file a civil enforcement action against the bank used to prosecute them. And I feel mm -hmm. like on that note, I should also bring up, it was Democrats that did the Custer Hawkins law, which overturned the municipalities, individual municipalities' ability to have rent control policies. So any building mm -hmm. that was, you know, tore down and rebuilt was now not covered under rent control laws. This has caused a huge, huge problem with affordable mm -hmm. housing here. It's, it's, we have people living in tent cities. We have families sleeping in cars. And, it, yep. you know, it, it, it this was dead, and I can't say this enough. This was done by neoliberal Democrats. Yeah, this absolutely, and, and that's one of the things. That's one of the tropes we had to fight. We, we're still fighting is that you know people people still thinking, um, well, especially the older generation, the, the Gen Xers like myself and 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 and, uh, and boomers, they're still thinking that um, the Democratic brand is synonymous synonymous with uh, with with anti-racism, right? But it's not yeah, the case not. anymore, right? The, 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 the DLC changed that when the Clintons came to town. Right? That's and right. People, they changed everything. People act like that didn't. 
Yeah, it, it, it changed drastically. They came to town with that Coke money. Yes, the same Coke brothers we always talk about. Fascinating piece, how the Coke brothers helped dismantle the Democratic Party. Sam, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Tom. Glad to be with you. Thanks for joining us. So how did the Koch brothers help dismantle a Democratic Party? Well, this and- is a, uh, a story uh, it sort of stunned me that you were interested in it because I've been working on aspects of the story for over 20 years and nobody's been interested. But if you go back all the way to 1988, there was a group that was formed called the Democratic Leadership Council. This was Al Fromm's group, right? Al Fromm uh, and yeah, Bill Clinton. right. And the idea was to move the Democratic Party to the right. And uh, it had uh, it worked with people like, uh, at the same time, Pamela Harriman was having over uh, nearly 100 meetings with people who paid $1,000 a head to come to them to discuss who the candidate should be in 1992. And uh, she raised about $12 million. But meanwhile, the Democratic Leadership Council was working on aspects of how you uh, make the uh, Democratic Party more conservative. And uh, what I didn't learn until earlier this year was that one of the people who had helped fund it in the early period were the, was Coke Industries um, with the Coke brothers. They came to town that Coke money, and they just right. slaughtered everybody. Everybody, right? And they yeah. did it, and they and they continued to the Clintons are still in power because they kept placing their own people in these positions, right? Oh That's why God, she yeah. still runs. That's why they couldn't still run a DNC. I don't care what anybody said. You, you, yeah. <laughs> well, Obama wasn't. You're Obama right. doesn't run a DNC. Set up their own organization because the DNC because they can't run a DNC like they should, right? I'm not yeah, saying it would right. be any better under under Obama or under Clinton. I, I don't think history would support that supposition at all. Right. But I'm just saying that's how strong that's how that's how how long the Clintons have been in charge. Right. And the and Clinton right. policy. Right. The, the Telecommunications Act alone gives the Clintons a huge amount of power and influence in, in media, a massive amount of power and influence in media. Right. Um, yeah. All these conglomerates, yeah. all the Clintons were pushing that through and the banks yeah. told them who pushing the Wall Street uh, uh, deregulation, a whole lot of influence and power. Right, and That's they're right. not going anywhere unless they're chased off. We're getting to the point where they they're getting a little uncomfortable, which is cool, but they they're gonna have to be chased off. And we have to realize that it's not about whether you're blue or red. It's about the policy you're pushing. Give me your policy stances. That's how you earn my vote. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Mm-hmm. You know. So the idea of black capitalism was something that Richard Nixon pushed as well. You go yeah. back further to Martin Luther King talking about the the black bank movement. But here's the mm-hmm. thing that people need to understand. At the time that Martin Luther King was talking about this, the rules were different. You still didn't have the deregulation mm-hmm. that happened from 1972 going mm-hmm. forward that was pretty much knocked out of the ballpark by Bill Clinton when he was president. So mm-hmm. now flash forward. And there were some black there were some black black business owners, you know, small small business owners and some some medium sized businesses by uh, by standards of, the, of that time. Right, it's like Walmart and, and and these big conglomerates right. wiped them out. You know these black banks, um, these small black community banks, they got wiped out by, especially after 2009, they got bought up by you know uh, the, by all these all these bigger banks. To keep in mind, a bank mm-hmm. a bank is only as good as the assets that it holds. So if you're already dealing Absolutely. with a population that's living paycheck to paycheck, they're mm-hmm. not holding on to the assets for long periods of time because they don't have Absolutely. the same amount of wealth. So, I mean, if a white person mm-hmm. puts 100K into Bank of America and it just sits there because they don't need it, 
That mm-hmm. makes Bank of America a stronger bank. But if a black family Absolutely. doesn't have 100K to put into goddamn black bank to begin with, what difference does it make? They're, they don't have yeah. the same minimal liquidity that a Wells Fargo is going to have, so they're never going to be able to compete on the same playing field, especially uh, especially uh, in the environment that we're in right now. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's just it, it's just common sense. All the all the the wealth that's in the it's in the white community. It's it's and it's visible. But yeah, you know, but a part part of it is that a lot of it is hidden from us, right? That's one of the things I wrote about in um, in uh, uh, Resilient Solidarity. One of the pieces I did it at actify.www.actify.press. And uh, one of the pieces I wrote there. Um, was 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 about resilient solidarity. Is that that you know white people have been this has been a side up against white people too, right? It's not they're not the only ones. We're not black people aren't the only ones that have been misinformed, right? This is a black right. because um, we lo- what we learned in the '60s is trying to bring poor black people and poor white people together will get you killed. In any form of democracy, you have this huge amount of poor people. You can and, and you and this is something I talk about all the time. This is just simply numbers. If you get a huge mass of, of poor people working together. People will get swept out of office, and it can happen in like two cycles, right? Mm-hmm. If we get enough, if we get enough people in line, and if we get enough people in line to to do these things, right? And now we're in a, we're, like we talked about before, we're in a space where white people are saying that, oh shit, wait a minute, this system's not on my side either. I thought it was just, I thought there was something wrong with the black folks. I thought it was just them. No, the system is screwed. We were just the canaries That's in the right. coal mine. You didn't see what we, you didn't see what we were killing over, and you didn't have to That's see. Right. And the system is set up for you not to see. Right. And it's and it's yeah. so bad that if you do see and say something, the social pressure will crush you, absolutely crush you. Right. It's not it's not about how and, and the system. Um, I talked about this uh, on another podcast. The system was set up for for um, like current housing. Right. The FHA mm-hmm. would you would lose your opportunity to get home improvement loans and lose insurance if That's black right. moved into your neighborhood. Right. That wasn't on the white people in the neighborhood. No matter how you feel about black people, them moving into your neighborhood is going to drive down the value of your home based on policy. Not because black folks are dirty, not because black folks bring crime. It's because the government, the government set up a system that turned white people into, uh, for lack of a better term, the white blood cells for, for, for American housing. All right? if, you, if you have black folks around you, you are going to get hurt. All right? That's how the system. This set, that's how the system, That's how the incentives were set up, right? It's not. It, it's about. It, this, so the system is set up to harm black people. It's hard to set up. Well, set up hard to set up, especially black people, um, descendants of slaves specifically, and people of color and white people that that deal with black people, right? The system is set up to hurt those kind of those kind of um, um, that kind of solidarity. Right. And, it, and the social the social pressure. Right. I, I, you know, I've been in one or two interracial relationships. Right. <laughs> and um, the social pressure from the white community is ridiculous. The things that that the white people in those relationships go through is that's a lot. It's a ton of social pressure that they're under. Right. You know, with this, right. you know, there's always this, you know, you, if you marry a uh, if you marry a white girl, her family, a family cuts her loose. Right. So <laughs> you family cuts you loose, you cut, you're out of the will. Right. So there's a, that wealth is cut off from you. You know, all, all that all that uh, that social power that, that your family may or may not have to get you a job. That's gone. Right. Yeah. This is, this, this is the system is set up for us not to be together or work together. Anyway, you can't run around saying with all the racial slurs. Right. You have to be more slick about it. 
Right? Yeah. So you so you start talking about poor people, urban coded people, words, yeah, you know, because we know where black people live because it's policy because policy puts them there, right? right <laughs> we know people right, like to live in an right. urban environment, right? Right. right? And if white people get caught up in that, oh fucking well, you should have moved, right? <laughs> and that's what and that's what right. it, and that's and those those lines are redrawn, right? And, and white people didn't realize they were redrawn until it was too late, and that's how we got here now, right? Instead of fighting alongside us because we have because we have common interests, which is the reality. Right. Uh, So one of my favorite myths in here is the single mother trope. And the reason this one, yeah, the reason this one always makes me chuckle is because Sweden, whether uh, folks realize this or not, I think uh, we can call Sweden, for lack of a better term, the baby mama capital of the world. Mm, There are single Mm -hmm. mothers in Sweden is exceedingly common. And it doesn't translate into anything other than people just don't get married in Sweden. This is, you know, my aunt mm-hmm. and uncle who have been together for 40 years and have two kids have never been married. You know, it's yeah, just same thing, same society. thing in Netherlands. Yeah, they, they, yeah, right. they just, they so, just, it just, yeah, yeah, well, they, there's a, it's a different, yeah, different, different social structure. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. It doesn't have to mean anything. Mm-hmm. And they also have, you know, the other difference obviously is in Sweden, they have very robust uh, social safety nets. You have universal mm-hmm. health care, yep. you have paid care. Child care, all of that. And, you know, mm-hmm. I should mention that the paid family leave is, applies to males, too. Men can take time off of work and you have mm-hmm. their salary still paid for. So it's not just mm-hmm. women. It's just a different cultural divide. But why is it that in the United States of America, th- th- you go to this other trope, well, it's the single black women, like all the dads just bail because they're jerks and these women are left. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it's this sort of baked in. It's, it's economic. It's racist. <laughs> it's economic. Yeah, I, one of the things about fatherhood, right? I mean, I, I wrote, I, I said, I tweeted something about this uh, yesterday. One of the things about fatherhood, you have two, you know, a, a, it goes across cultures, right? It goes across, yeah. um, uh, it cuts across all things, right? As a father, I have yeah. to provide and protect. That's my job. It sounds archaic to a lot of people, but that's how, that's what our culture is built, right? And mm-hmm. if the system is set up for you not to have a good job and not to be able to provide, yeah, we can say that, yeah, we don't have kids so early. But, you know, you cut education and the, uh, the, that's, that's what keeps you from having kids is education and opportunity. This is not something that only happens to black people. It happens to The mm-hmm. difference is the money. They have family wealth or they have, you know, there's, there's, and there's something there that will pick up the pieces in a way that's not happening in, a, mm-hmm. in black families. So this idea that, that you can blame it on single motherhood versus anything else is just fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But I, one of the things that a lot of people miss, well, this, this is my theory anyway, but I think, I think I'm dead on, is that um, having a family weakens your power, right? It weakens your power as, um, at, in labor, right? Because you, you have, because of this set of incentives that you have, you can't take risks. They don't want to hire pregnant women right? or something. Yeah, I That's part of it. But the other part of it is people with families are much more malleable because they have to be, right? So um, part of the problem is, is that we as Americans system sets it up so that people are kind of captured because they have a family, right? You're kind of captured by the system because you have to do whatever you have to do to feed your family, right? And that kind of takes Mm -hmm. away from the power for you as a, for for you as a, um, as a political entity, as, as labor or whatever it may be, if you have a family, you have uh, a different set of incentives than a single person, right? A group of single people, you right. see young people, right? Young people are more, much more, more, much more active because they're not responsible for anyone else, right? They're not responsible mm-hmm. for another child, another family, 
um, you know, all the stuff that, 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 that we as, you know, people above over 30 with families have a different set of incentives, right? So, um, then that's one of the reasons why, uh, pe- as the people get older, they, they seem like they get more, uh, conservative, but it's just a different set of incentives, right? Because you're just trying to survive in the system or trying to, trying to benefit in the system, right? And I think, yeah. um, and I think, um, the single motherhood trope is another, is another, is a function of that, right? You, you okay. were, uh, the, the, the system is not set up for, for, especially for black people to have, uh, a, a nuclear family. It's just not, it's just not set up for us to have a nuclear family. Okay, that's fair. That's fair because, mm-hmm. you know, and I've read people that have tried to make the argument, uh, that that stems from our history of slavery and, and you know, that's, because, that's, you know, that's, slaves that's a small part killed. of it. It's a small part of it. I don't, I don't, I've seen the argument made. I don't know that I have a strong mm. opinion either way on it, but I have, mm-hmm. I've read that. I'm, mm-hmm. I'd be interested to hear more on that. I, so the next myth is the one of entrepreneurship, which it, again, this is tied into whether or not to have access to capital. And if you're not getting loans at the same rate as a white mm-hmm. uh, entrepreneur is, again, you're already, so it, you know, it, it comes back to this idea. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you have no boots. Yeah, yeah, and it was one of the things that, that a lot of people, um, um, there's three things that, that you need to become uh, a successful entrepreneur, entrepreneur, right? You need um, access, you need a decent education, right? You don't have to go to Harvard or anything. You need a decent education, you need a, um, a, you need a decent education, you need access to capital, and you need a influential or, or, um, or rich um base of friends or, 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 or people that you can reach out to when you need, mm-hmm. whether you need, whether it's funding, because there's an overlap between yeah. access to capital and having these influential and, and, uh, and influential and affluence peer groups, right? There's an overlap there, right? So when, mm-hmm. you, and systematically, we were kept out of all three of those things, right? We were kept out of, mm-hmm. we were kept out of these influential and, and, um, and affluent peer groups just by the way our housing system is set up and the way slavery was set up and, you know, everything has kept us away from that, right? And 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 right. it's, it's, it's shredded our neighborhood, right? Because of because of redlining and stuff, right? And then you then you look at the you know the access that that, that was the access to capital and your education, right? And you know right. so and you and all this stuff is set up to keep us to keep black people from those three things, right? And you need and if you don't or if the only only thing that you can you can be a successful entrepreneur with, um, well the, 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 you have to have one of the one of, of those three things. The only ones that are a sure bet is access to capital and that affluent, affluent or influential peer group, right? Those are the only things that are a safe bet. You don't even need an education, so to speak, if you have a good um, influential, right. uh, affluent or influential peer group, right? You don't need, you don't yeah. need that, right? Because you're going you're gonna, to, like, right. for instance, um, uh, make their bones in the, in the progressive, in progressive media, right? Uh, myself included, right? Not trying to get rich, so to speak. But um, in independent progressive media, people like Chapo, right? They make like $10,000 $10, a month on their, on their uh, Patreon, right? But that's because oh, they're wow. part of, a, uh, of an affluent peer group, right? These are, these are not poor kids who grew up in the ghetto, right? <laughs> they have a peer group yeah, that, has, that, that is influential, okay. right? And they have money, mm-hmm. right? And that's, and that's a reality, right? It's not, mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is, this is not a reflection on their, uh, their, their content. It's just a reflection right. on their social group. But then, you know, they all went to good schools and they had these affluent, affluent, affluent or influential peer groups. And when it's time for them yeah. to get some money together, it's a little bit easier, right? You have access to capital. You have, you have access to these bigger platforms, 
right? right? All this stuff comes with being part of their communities. But black people don't have that, and, and most of us don't have that same level of opportunity. And it's, yeah. and it's, and it's just a reality where we are, right? I mean, that, the chapel folks may, may see it differently, but it is what it is. You know, and that sort of mm-hmm. leads to the next myth. Greater financial literacy will close the racial wealth gap. Well, this, you know, this is not necessarily mm-hmm. true. You know, I, yeah. I think the other part of, of not having access to capital as an entrepreneur is the fact that a lot of folks that are poor have to go to payday lenders uh, mm-hmm. for loans just to get by. And, you know, you're, you're talking about a predatory lending system in which you, you could end up paying 300% of the original loan balance between the fees and whatever else that happens because of the way they operate their businesses. Mm-hmm. So, again, yeah, and, you know, none of these things, it's a rigged system. These things aren't taken into consideration when people just throw these arguments out. Yeah, and another, another part of that argument is financial literacy or being able to take care of your money or take care of money in general is a learned skill, right? It's a skill. And you have to learn it. And if you don't have any money to learn it, and they don't teach it in high school anymore, in general, right? They don't teach it in school anymore. It's not part of home economics. You had to balance your checkbook and all that stuff. You have to figure it out on your own. And if you don't have any money, you can't right. figure it out on your own because you haven't had the opportunity to figure it out on your own, right? Because, but if you have money, right? Because, you know, um, you know my, my, like uh, my wife, her family has a little bit of money, right? She sees money entirely differently than I see money. Not that, not that, again, I'm not going to claim that, you know, we were poor, but we were, we were a middle class family, right? But we didn't have, you know, I'm not, I wasn't going to get, uh, you know, uh, you know, $100 a month for chores or whatever, for, for, uh, right. and meals, right? That doesn't happen here, right? Within yeah. our communities. But, but the way she handles money entirely differently than I would, right? And it's also the, uh, the, the sense of, um, uh, permanence of money, right? Money is not a permanent fixture in, some, in, in a lot of people's lives, right? So you just living paycheck to paycheck, the opportunity to save money is not, is not there, right? Money is not a permanent thing. It's something you're constantly chasing, right? It's the, again, we're back to the wealth thing. You don't have a wealth to fall back on. You have, you know, you have a X amount of money in the bank to fall back on that you, don't, that you don't necessarily need to live your life week to week. It goes back to telling black folks that we're always the source of all our problems. Well, that's not the truth. So, which brings me to my next thing. I, I wonder out loud this quite a bit because I'm always surprised to see how, how some people respond to this. Martin Luther King made poverty part of his um, platform before he was assassinated, and it was a big part mm-hmm. of it. And mm-hmm. it was rightfully and that's a part of it. That's why he was assassinated. That's why he was assassinated. Um, yeah. yeah. I think you can make that argument. Um, Absolutely. Because, like you said earlier, the idea of black population and a poor white population joined forces, that the platonomy would have a real problem. I mean, there's, there's fewer yeah, one percenters than there absolutely. are. Uh, you know, when we see mainstream media such as MSNBC and Fox News make a lot of the arguments they're making, I think that that is what is at the root of this. You know, you recently saw Ed Schultz come out and talk about how he was... There was more oversight and more direction given to me on content at MSNBC than there ever has been here at RT. Many times I was told what to lead with on MSNBC. Many times I was told what I was not going to do, and I've got a story that had I not been involved in it, I would have never believed it. Uh, And Phil Griffin, who I consider a friend to this day, was 
was a watchdog far more than anything I'm exposed to here at RT America. Did he tell you what to say? Did he tell you an angle to take? Often. He had gone to his house and he was going to do this broadcast of his presidential announcement and and the um, the chief of MS mm-hmm. NBC told him he couldn't do it. You know, I mean, this yeah, this is all yeah. part for the course. This is yeah, this is mm-hmm. this is corporate money protecting corporate. In fact, when Bernie Sanders was announcing that he was going to be a candidate for the nomination of the Democratic Party in Burlington, Vermont, I was the only cable host between Fox, MSNBC, and CNN that was there live to cover it. Now, there were live cameras there, but we had coordinated with the Sanders campaign that at 5 o'clock he was going to make his announcement, and we were going to cover this on The Ed Show. I go to Bernie Sanders' house that afternoon and interview in the backyard, about a 15-minute interview. The grandkids are running around. It's a big day for the Sanders family. He's going to announce that he's running for president. We're going to carry it live later on in the day, and we're going to run this one-on-one tape with Bernie. 3,000 people are there on Lake Champagne. It's five minutes to air, and I get a phone call from Phil Griffin. You're not covering this. I said, Phil... Bernie Sanders is announcing he's running for president. He's going to be a president. I don't care. You're not covering this. And it got rather contentious. Why, though? I don't... Well, uh, now you're asking me for opinion. I'm giving you fact right now about what happened. Mm -hmm. And other people who were there with me will attest to the fact and back me up that this is what happened. We were told that we had to cover something down in Texas that was totally meaningless uh, and another press conference in Baltimore which was in already had been in the news for a few days we're covering Bernie Sanders live we're coordinated with his campaign and I'm told five minutes before you're not covering Bernie Sanders now let me give you the opinion I think the Clintons were connected to Andy Lack connected at the hip I think that they didn't want anybody in their prime time or any, anywhere in their lineup supporting Bernie Sanders. I think that they were in the tank for Hillary Clinton, and I think it was managed. And 45 days later, I was out at MSNBC. The plutonomy is down without a fight. That's what we're looking at. So my, my next, I, this is a long-winded way of me basically asking you this. How do mm-hmm. we get more people to see what we're talking about here? How do we get them on board with this idea that that poor white people, poor black people should be allies, um, that poor white people should absolutely 100% get behind the idea of reparations to correct these problems, and that together, as as a group, not fighting each other, we can all actually change a system that's fucking all of us over. Mm-hmm. I think um, reparations for a lot of white people is a bridge too far, right? Um, there's Why? A, okay, uh, right now. Let's talk about point. that. It's just- at Why this, is it a Yeah, response? at this point in time, Why? I think for a lot of white people, because it's been because it's been so um, it's been so demonized, especially on the right. It's been really demonized. It's like you know people wanting something free, wanting a handout, right? But my 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 uh, argument is that the American promise has always been: you come here, you work, you and your family benefit, right? But mm-hmm. but hard work, especially for slaves, does not equal success. If hmm? hard work equaled financial success, Steve Klobuchar would be poor as fuck, and most of his employees would be millionaires. I mean, this is yeah. 
<laughs> hard yeah, work. But we talked about that. The, the, the three things you need for success is a decent education, access to capital, and an affluent or influential peer group, right? That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's what you need, right? And we, those are the things that yeah. we like to have been kept apart from, right? And and if if you see it on on those terms, but I mean that's another, that's the argument. But um, the argument to me is, okay, um, you guys are seeing you as the white community. You're seeing what the government can do when they decide to harm you, all right? This mm-hmm. is a conscious this is a conscious decision to harm you, right? Because. Mm-hmm. The answers have always been there, right? Whether we talk about um, universal basic income, job guarantees, reparations, mm-hmm. the solutions have already always been there. I mean, um, there was a when during uh, in the beginning in the beginning of April, we well, during around the time uh, we were celebrating the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King being I don't think celebrating is a good word, but we were we were the we were this uh, the the anniversary of Martin Luther King being killed, uh, being assassinated, um, was. <clears throat> was that he was talking about UBI back in the 60s, right? Yeah. Burn, right, Martin right. Luther King was talking about universal basic income and job guarantees back in the 60s. So we yeah. know the solutions. We know the solutions. Yeah. The solutions are there, but it's about having the political will and getting enough That's people right. on board, right? Um, my thing is, um, let's start with some basic things we can all, we can all agree with while learning about these other things, we can all agree with the higher, most of us can agree with the higher minimum wage. Most of us can agree yeah. um, that, that these, the social safety net should be much stronger, right? Most of us agree that the government should help, um, should, should, should assure that everyone has health care because health, your health and your, your, you should not die because you're poor, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that's really what it boils down to, right? Poor people die more, are more likely to die because of lack of health care because of the way the system is, right? Mm-hmm. Right? They're hurting too bad um, to worry about, you know, what happened uh, so, okay, so, so many X amount yeah, of years. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Mm-hmm. So my response to that, and maybe I view this differently, I don't see this as a burden of a poorer populace. I see this as a burden of the one percenters and of the corporations that have been taking too, too much, extracting too much wealth from our economy for far too long. The oh, you and I agree, have, but I, I'm just talking about what the what the um, what the propaganda has been since the 60s, right? Right. Right. Uh, we can discuss these things. I, I I will always say we need to discuss these things and talk about them, right? But one of the downsides of of having having these big economic problems is that people can't see solutions, right? And people if people can't see solutions, um, people can't people can't see solutions because they're because they're trying to live day to day, right? So yeah, yeah. Reparations is a big picture, right? I think people are more likely because when 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 times are hard, people um, tend to take care of the community around them, whether that be white, black, purple, or pink, right? When it's resources, when the resources get tight, people tend to get their defenses up because you need to defend your resources, whatever they may be, right? And that's part of the intention mm-hmm. of this. Um, this this uh, engineered scarcity, right? Because there's no reason for anybody to be out in the United States of America, right? <laughs> I mean, even if you don't believe in MMT, we can redistribute. Yeah. We can we can give we can tax Wall Street, give Wall Street a three percent tax. We should be taxing mm-hmm. Wall Street transactions. They do this in Europe, and they use it mm-hmm. to pay for a host of, of common good or uh, public yeah, good absolutely. ideas like universal health care. And there's no reason why we couldn't do it, even if it was half of a cent. 
on every yeah, was, uh, transaction, it would accumulate a massive amount of money that we could be gaining revenue absolutely. from. Absolutely. People don't realize how I mean, there's billions of transactions every day on Wall Street. Yeah. A tiny yeah. tax could, could fund yeah. a whole bunch of stuff, and it sure won't hurt them. They've taken their entire tax reform bill. You know, they've had their tax rates cut, and now what are they doing with it? They're not employing more people. They're not raising no, of course wages. Not. They're they buying back shares. They're buying back shares. Yeah, they're, they're enriching themselves. Yeah, and they, they, but you know that's been a that's been a bullshit from the beginning, right? Yeah. They never, yeah. ever, ever put these these tax breaks into into um building a company unless they get a tax break for investing into the company. Profits aren't an incentive to hire more people. They never Absolutely have, not. they never will be. Our capitalist nope. society isn't built that way. They will only hire people when they need to for productivity issues. So give them as many tax breaks that are not tied to that as you want, and it's not going to make a fucking difference. The income inequality is going to remain as what it is or get worse. Absolutely.